Together, we talk about everything in the true crime world, whether you've heard of them or not. So buckle up and get ready to feed your curiosity with criminal curiosity. This week, we are going to be talking about the case of Carrie Farber, which includes a love triangle, cyber-stalking, deadly obsessions, and a whole lot of questions and confusion. So let's get started. Today's story begins in November 2012 in Omaha, Nebraska. At the time, Dave Kropa was a mechanic searching for a fresh start in life. He recently split from Amy Flora, his girlfriend of 12 years, and together they had two children. Dave finds Shauna Elizabeth Goyler, also known as Liz Goyler, through online dating. Dave and Liz found common ground in that they both had children of the similar age and they were single parents. Liz had two children and was a single mother who owned a housekeeping business. Right away, they were feeling each other's vibes. They went on their first date at a coffee shop, and while they were having a good time and maybe this could be the start of something new, Dave told Liz that he wasn't really looking for anything serious, that he just got out of a 12-year relationship, and right now, all he wants to do is have fun. Turns out, Liz wasn't looking for anything serious as well, so they both decided that they would just enjoy each other's company without the seriousness of being in a relationship. Dave and Liz were now in a relationship, but they were still seeing other people. Six months later, 37-year-old Carrie Farver walks into the mechanic with her Ford Explorer to get it fixed. Right away, Dave was starstruck by her. He described her as a pretty confident and smart woman. Carrie was born on November 30th, 1974, and raised in the tiny town of Macedonia, Iowa, which has a population of about 200 to 300 people. Carrie was a sociable and intelligent woman and spoke to her mother every single day. She became pregnant and a single mother at the age of 22. Carrie was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in her early 20s. She once spent a whole week in bed, but she was taking her medication and, and attending therapy sessions to get better. She admitted that there were moments where she didn't take her medication because it made her feel numb and she didn't like that. In 2012, Carrie worked as a computer programmer in Omaha and things were going very well. She was earning more money to support herself and her son, Max, and Max was about to start high school, which meant that they would be experiencing this new chapter and everything was just moving along smoothly. Dave asked Carrie out on a date through online dating and their first date was at Applebee's and the date went really well. Carrie told Dave that she wasn't interested in a serious relationship and Dave was just like, me too. Dave invited Carrie over to his apartment where they had sex, and as Dave was walking Carrie out of the apartment building, Liz popped up unannounced to pick up some of her stuff. They just passed her in the hallway. No one said anything to anyone. Carrie and Dave kept in touch throughout the following weeks. After that, Carrie was assigned a project at work. Dave lived only a mile from Carrie's job, whereas Carrie lived about 30 minutes to an hour from her work. Dave gave her the key to his apartment and offered for her to stay there once she was finished at the end of the day, instead of 
driving an hour home every single night. On November 13th, 2012, Carrie stayed the night at Dave's place. He got up that morning to go to work at around 6 a.m. He kissed her and then left. Dave received a text message from Carrie about midday that said, Hey, you know, how about we move in together? Reacting to this message, Dave messages Carrie back and he says, No, I thought that we both agreed to keep things casual. And Carrie texts him back and says, Quote, fine, I don't want to see you again. Go away, I'm dating somebody else. I hate you. End quote. Dave is even more confused because they were just getting to know each other for two to three weeks. They both agreed that this was not a serious relationship. And they both knew that he gave her the key to his place just so that she wouldn't have to drive an hour home after a long day at work. So... He's again confused when she wants to move with, move in with him, but the next message says that she's dating someone else. When Dave returns home, Carrie's belongings are all gone, and he doesn't think anything of it. On November 14th, the next day, Carrie starts sending Dave a ton of text messages complaining that she hates him and that he has ruined her life. Again, he's confused because they are just messing around for two weeks. When Carrie started this new job, she was staying with Dave. Her son Max stayed with Carrie's mom, Nancy, just until the project was over. Carrie texts her mom telling her that she got a new job in Kansas and that she's moving there and she's starting fresh. Nancy is confused, so Nancy calls Carrie and when she doesn't answer the phone, she is slightly concerned because they talk on the phone every single day. Max was scheduled to be an usher at Carrie's half-brother's wedding, and Carrie promised Max that she would be there and she would pick him up and that they could live in Kansas. Nancy says to herself that, you know, I'll see her at the wedding, we'll talk, we'll just figure out what's happening and problem solved. It's the day of her brother's wedding and Carrie doesn't show up, nor is she answering her phone. Nancy calls the sheriff's department and reports Carrie Farver as missing. When Nancy tells the police that Carrie suffers from bipolar disorder, they just assume that since Carrie is an adult and that there is evidence that she is texting, she's most likely just simply not taking her medication and that there's nothing that they can do about it. On Dave's end, Carrie is sending him text messages every single day in which she calls him names and she criticizes him for being a horrible person. She was texting him up to a hundred times a day and even sending him a hundred emails, and it was getting pretty absurd at this point. Even after Dave changed his phone number, text messages from Carrie were still arriving. She would stalk him and text him saying, quote, I can see you're wearing a blue shirt and your feet are propped on the table and you're watching TV, end quote. Now Dave, of course, was terrified at this point. Another text sent to his phone read, quote, my favorite thing to do is stand outside and stare at you, end quote. Any woman who spoke to Dave, including Liz Goyler, was being harassed along with Dave. Dave and Liz were confused about how she was even texting Liz because they were never in contact with each other. They just passed each other in the hallway, then never spoke, never made eye contact, nothing. She would text Liz saying, quote, if you don't keep your hands or lips off my man, I will hurt you, end quote. Dave would get text messages from Carrie talking about Liz saying, quote, she's a fat cow. 
She looks like she lost her puppy. She should do us all a favor and kill herself, end quote. Because Liz and Dave were going through the same thing, they were constantly there for one another, and Liz and Dave got even closer during this harassment. On November 22nd, 2012, 10 days after anyone saw Carrie, Liz discovered that her garage had been vandalized. Written in black spray paint on the garage walls was, quote, whore from Dave, end quote. Liz calls the police and she explains the whole situation and that she wants to file a harassment report against Carrie. In January 2013, Dave came home from work when he noticed a Ford Explorer in the parking lot. He noticed the car right away as belonging to Carrie because he had worked on the car before. Dave sees her car and right away he begins thinking, oh my gosh, what if Carrie's here? What is she going to do? What's going to happen? So many questions running through his head. He takes a picture of the car and the license plate and sends it to police. The police come out and look around the apartment and there is no sign of Carrie, so they take the car into evidence and search it. A single fingerprint was discovered on a mint container in the vehicle, but it wasn't a match to Carrie or anyone in the FBI database. The text messages were not stopping anytime soon. It was getting out of hand. And Dave and Liz even began calling Carrie Crazy Carrie. She would continue to text Dave saying things like, quote, I hate you so much that I want to drive a knife in your heart, end quote. Another text message said, quote, Dave, if you like Liz at all, stop talking to her, end quote. When Dave and Liz were together, there were moments when their phones would start blowing up at the same time. Some of the text messages would say, quote, am I ruining your life yet? And, oh, you're cuddling, how nice, end quote. One day, Dave receives an email from Carrie threatening to kill Liz. The email also included a picture of a woman who is tied up and inside a car trunk. The text message said, quote, I have Liz tied up in the back of the car, and you need to call her right now and tell her you hate her, tell her she's a fat whore, otherwise I'll kill her, end quote. Dave calls Liz and asks about the situation, and Liz says that she's fine. She's not dead, and she's not tied up in the back of a trunk. Along with the email, Carrie sent a link to a fake obituary for Liz. In the obituary, it reads, quote, I didn't know her very well, except she was a whore and a man-stealer, and thank God she's gone, end quote. Carrie's family in Iowa are still worried about her because she doesn't visit or call them, and she just simply, simply texts them on occasion. Max receives a text message from his mother telling him of his upcoming move to Kansas. And at this point, they started to believe that something had to be wrong because she missed her father's funeral. She, at this point, they started to believe that something had to be wrong because she missed her father's funeral. She missed Max's 15th birthday, Thanksgiving, her birthday, and Christmas. After the funeral, she texted her mom saying, you know, I'm sorry, I missed the funeral. And Carrie's mom texted her back saying, quote, the only way I will know it's you is if you call me and I hear your voice, end quote. 
Carrie responded telling her mom that she was a horrible person and that she was controlling. Carrie then texted her friend Amber, telling her that she made a horrible mistake and that she wanted to come back home. To Carrie's friends and family, it gave them a little bit of hope, you know, but Carrie would cancel her plans, she would not answer the phone, and none of the plans would go through. Nancy was contacted five months after Carrie disappeared by a guy that claimed to have seen her daughter, Carrie, in a homeless shelter. Nancy and the police went there, but Carrie wasn't there. Max decided to send his mother a Facebook message just saying hi, and she responded, responded by saying, quote, Hey, little man, how are you? Max asked her three questions, and these are questions that she could have easily answered if it was Carrie. He asked, what is his middle name? What is the name of their first dog? And what was his best friend's name? And she never responded to the message. Carrie then posted a pretty long message on Facebook saying, quote, I have answered enough questions to prove myself to everyone. I am done. You can't believe I'm your daughter, mother, sister, and friend that you have known your whole life or you can just leave me alone. I have proven myself over and over and I'm done. I left on my own free will and I'm sick of everyone giving me a hard time for doing what I needed to do. I'm not missing. I just don't want to come home right now. I am a grown woman and if I feel like leaving home, I have the right. I asked my son Maxwell James to come with me, but he didn't want to. So when I'm ready to come back home, I will. I'm sorry for hurting everyone and just up and leaving. I know I have upset some of you, but I needed to do this for me." End quote. In August 2013, back in Nebraska, Liz's house burned down. Liz's children were not in the house, and this part contains animal deaths, so if you don't want to hear, skip 10 seconds ahead. Her two dogs, a cat and a snake, all died in the fire. The officer at the scene stated that the fire was intentionally set. The auto shop where Dave worked was vandalized with orange spray paint and it wrote, Dave beats women. Dave was becoming more paranoid that he bought a gun because Liz's house was now burnt down and his work was vandalized. He was terrified that she would be coming for their lives next. Dave received an email from Carrie titled, To My Husband, on November 25th, 2013, one year after all of this started. The email contains a picture of a knife and reads, quote, I've been creeping around your building, end quote. While Dave and Liz were together, they continued to see other people. And if Dave spoke to someone else, Carrie would find out and begin to harass them. Amy Flora, the mother of Dave's children and his ex-girlfriend started getting text messages from Carrie in which she was called all sorts of names. In January 2014, Dave's friend Heather, who they've known each other since high school, were visiting one another. At Dave's apartment, his phone begins to blow up with text messages saying, quote, I see you in there with that whore, end quote. A couple of hours later, as they're in bed, a brick is thrown through the bathroom window. They call the police and tell them what happened, and Dave and Heather go to Liz's house. Police, they don't know how to stop it because Dave has changed his number and she keeps texting. So the harassment just continues and the case pretty much goes cold. Two and a half years have passed since Carrie was last seen 
and since the harassment started when two Iowa detectives, Detective Ryan Avis and Jim Doty, decide to take up the case in the spring of 2015. Before this, they had only learned of Carrie's disappearance from hearing other people at work talk about it. They only knew that she was missing. They didn't know about the constant harassment in the form of text and emails. They volunteered to look into the case and just look at the case from a different angle. Detective Jim Doty was going to be investigating this case as if Carrie was dead, and Detective Ryan Avis would be working the case as if Carrie was alive. They began at the beginning. Carrie had not been seen or heard from in over two and a half years, and her bank account had not been used during that time, which was odd because you need money for necessities like food and rent. And although the police were aware of Carrie's bipolar disorder, they didn't think that it had anything to do with the case. They noticed something strange in her Facebook posts. One, she didn't answer her own son's questions when he asked them, even though if it was Carrie, she would have known the answers. According to her mother, Nancy, there were numerous grammatical errors in the Facebook message, and Carrie didn't speak or type in that way. Over the past two and a half years, the detectives realized that they couldn't verify that Carrie was alive. Upon reviewing the Nebraska police case file, they discovered information regarding Liz Goyler. They discovered that Liz never had any communication with Carrie, yet her name appears everywhere as soon as Carrie goes missing. Because the only form of communication from Carrie was electronic, the detectives asked their colleague, Anthony Kava, a digital forensics administrator, to help out. Liz and Dave agreed to have the contents of their phone downloaded from 2013 when the harassment began. Carrie had sent Dave over 15,000 emails and between 25,000 and 50,000 texts for nearly three years. While searching Liz's phone, they discovered a 2013 picture of Carrie's Ford Explorer. The picture was taken a month before the police found the car. Detective Doty stated, quote, Somehow Liz knew where Carrie's vehicle was before law enforcement even did. Unquote. They also discovered that Liz had called Carrie six times using the star 67 prefix, which disguises a phone number. Now, this was odd because, again, like I've mentioned, Carrie and Liz never met. They never talked. They only passed each other in the hallway for five seconds. And to call someone that you've never met six times is definitely strange. They found a video that showed someone walking outside of Dave's apartment, and it was uploaded to YouTube under Carrie's name. But when they traced the IP address, they saw that the video was uploaded from Liz's IP address registered to her own house. Now keep in mind that Carrie sent Dave a picture of Liz, of her tied up in the back of a trunk, and how Carrie was talking about how she was going to kill Liz. They found that same picture of Liz tied up on Liz's phone through the metadata, which is data that gives you information about another data. Think of like the iCloud when it tells you like when you took a picture, the time, the location of the picture, and whose iCloud account. So essentially, Liz duct taped her mouth. She climbed in the back of the trunk. She used the self-timer and kept her hands behind her back. Yeah, yeah, that, that was the work of Liz. 
and Avis visited Nancy in May 2015 to have a conversation with her. Nancy stated that the detectives told her that they believed that Carrie didn't leave on her own free will, and this was the first time that someone was finally doing something about this case, and she felt like she might get answers now. Detectives speaking with Nancy in 2013 discovered that she had received a text from her daughter, who claimed to have sold all of her stuff, and she wanted Nancy to be there to allow the buyer to enter the house and pick it up. Along with the text was a picture of a check made out to Carrie Farber and signed by Shannon Goyler, which is Liz's real name. They decided to test Liz's fingerprint to the fingerprint found on the mint container that was found in Carrie's car, and it was a match to Liz Goyler. The fingerprint alone wasn't enough to arrest Liz, so they kept looking. Liz went to the sheriff's office on December 4th, 2015 to file a harassment complaint against Dave's former partner, Amy Flora. Once Liz leaves the station, Detective Avis goes to her house and interviews her, but he's pretending that it's about the harassment report against Amy Flora, and the conversation is recorded. Liz says that she has made a harassment report against Carrie Farver, and Detective Avis is acting confused. He's like, Carrie Farver? You know, like, how do you spell that? And he's hoping that Liz will open up a bit more. She tells him who Carrie is and how she was dating Dave for two weeks and that she's been harassing them. But now she tells the detective that she believes that it was Amy Flora who has been sending the messages and emails the whole time and not Carrie. She tells Detective Avis that it wouldn't make sense for Carrie to go to great lengths for all this harassment and stalking when they only dated for two weeks. But Amy dated Dave for 12 years, and they have two kids together, so it would make sense that she's impersonating Carrie and harassing Liz and Dave, according to Liz. Liz was asked by the detective if he could access her phone content so that they can look through the emails and messages and figure out where exactly this is coming from and just put an end to this harassment. Liz agreed. She signed a consent form and gave her phone to police. Dave then calls the police to report the gun that he had bought as stolen. He believes that it was Carrie who stole the gun, and now she might kill him. And it's funny because Liz mentioned the gun to Detective Avis during their conversation, and before Dave knew about it, she told the detective that she believed that Amy stole the gun. On December 5th, 2015, Liz called the police from Big Lake Park in Council Bluffs the following day claiming she was shot in the leg while out on her own in the middle of the night. She claimed that a woman approached her while she was sitting on the bench and asked, quote, how do you fucking like Dave, end quote, then gave her the order to lie down, shot her in the leg, and took off. Liz got up, walked to her car where she left her phone, and called the police. When they questioned Liz whether she knew who had shot her, she said that she couldn't see because the shooter approached her from behind. Then she later claims to police that it was Amy Flora that shot her. 
Detective Avis discovered this to be extremely suspicious because she had just told the police that Amy had taken Dave's gun and now Amy shot her. And Detective Avis believed very quickly that Liz shot herself. Back at the digital forensic work, Anthony Cava begins working on Liz's phone and finds that Liz has made about 20 to 30 different email accounts under Carrie's name. There was also an app Liz used that allowed her to schedule text messages ahead of time. This would explain when she was with Dave that they would both get text messages at the same time. Now, if you're Dave in all of this, it would have been hard to believe that it was Liz behind all of this because she was getting harassed as well. She was the one tied up in the back of a trunk. And it's not like Dave saw her working overtime to create this narrative. Anthony Cava stated that Liz spent about 40 to 50 hours a week impersonating Carrie. On December 14th, two weeks after Liz shot herself, Detectives Avis and Dodie brought Liz in for questioning, and they started asking her questions about Carrie, and the detectives come up with a plan to tell Liz that they found human remains belonging to Carrie. Liz tells them that she only saw Carrie once passing by in a hallway. They ask Liz, you know, do you know anyone that would want to hurt Carrie? And of course, she brought up Amy. They had been together for more than a decade, and she was, you know, probably jealous of Carrie, and all this harassment was from it. Detectives tell her that the next time that Amy tries to text you, impersonating as Carrie, Liz would come clean about who killed Carrie, how, when, and where her body was, and how it all happened. However, Liz would be the one pretending to be Amy. The plan works. Liz starts forwarding these emails to detectives who are from Amy, which is essentially Liz because Liz is, Im is impersonating Amy. Amy admits to shooting Liz in Big Lake Park. Detectives keep pushing Liz to keep speaking with Amy to try and get a confession out of her. Liz forwards detectives an email from Amy. In the email, it reads, quote, My last email got deleted. I know your number from Dave's phone. I did meet up with Carrie at a local place here in Council Bluffs. I have family that won't let me go to jail. When I met Crazy Carrie, she would not stop talking about Dave and about him being her husband. She tried to attack me, but I attacked her with a knife. I stabbed her three or four times in the chest and stomach area. I then took her out and burned her. I stuffed her body in a garbage bag with crap. She was carried out by the dumpster, probably when Dave took out my garbage for me. All your crap didn't keep him away from me. End quote. After this email was sent, Liz contacts the detectives and she's pretty frustrated because she doesn't understand why police have not taken Amy into custody just yet. The detectives tell her that they want to arrest her, but they needed more information that only the killer would know. A few days later, Liz forwarded an email from Amy claiming that, that Amy had fatally stabbed Carrie in Carrie's vehicle. After searching Carrie's car and removing the fabric from the seat, they discovered a blood stain that was later identified as Carrie's blood. Cold case homicide detective Dave Snyder joined the case because the murder most likely took place in Omaha, therefore the Omaha Police Department had to be involved. 
Liz was arrested and brought in by Detective Snyder because she had an unpaid traffic ticket. He then began interviewing her and just started telling her about the mountain of evidence that they had against her. From the photos on her phone, the IP addresses, the 15,000 emails, and the 25 to 50,000 text messages, the confession and the email, and her fingerprints in Carrie's car. And of course, she denies everything and claims that she didn't have internet service. I haven't heard that excuse yet. Douglas County attorney Brenda Beadle, the prosecutor for this case, said, quote, This was by far the most difficult case I've ever tried. Most homicides are dark. This one was bizarre, to the point where it would take some convincing to make somebody believe that it happened. There's no way that someone would let their dog die in a fire that they started. There's no way that someone would shoot themselves in the femur. End quote. James Davis, the defense attorney for Liz, requested to waive a jury trial in favor of a bench trial, meaning a judge would decide the case and not the jury. He states, quote, Not only was there no body, there was no crime scene, there was no murder weapon, there was no proof that she even died. We waived the jury trial to move it up so I could try this case, hopefully before they'd find a body, end quote. Dave remembered he had a tablet in storage a few months before the trial was scheduled to begin in 2017, and he gave it to investigators. Anthony Cava discovered a micro SD memory card, which was previously in Liz's phone. Thousands of pictures were deleted from the SD card, but, you know, is anything ever truly deleted? Cava was successful in retrieving every photo. One photo included a tattooed human foot. Liz was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison, plus an additional 18 to 20 years for arson. She's currently at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women. She, of course, is still in denial and believes that Carrie's real killer is still out there. Dave stated after the case, quote, I want Liz to go away and never to do this to anybody again. Nancy and Carrie's son were foremost in my mind. They're unfortunately the ones that have to live with the repercussions. Dodie, Avis, Kava, they're all heroes, end quote. Nancy said, quote, those guys, they mean the world to me. I can't thank them enough. They're my boys, end quote. The three investigators established a scholarship in Carrie's name at the local community college she attended called the Carrie Farver Memorial Scholarship at the Iowa Western Community College, to which Anthony Kava said, quote, in hopes of associating something positive with her memory. Nancy wants her daughter to be remembered as the fun-loving, talented, and smart woman she was. Nancy says, quote, Carrie was only 37 when she died. If I could talk to Carrie right now, I'd say I love you. I'm so glad that you're in my life. You have a beautiful son who's got a wonderful life coming, and I miss you terribly. End quote. End of episode thoughts. This case was wild and sick. I mean, who burns down their own house, killing their own animals, to keep up this persona that a woman who is dead is crazy and is doing all of this? Carrie's body has never been found, so she's never been able to get the proper burial she deserves. Detective Detectives Avis, Doty, and Kava, that is some of the best detective work that I've ever seen. 
And when they really volunteered for this case and they looked at it from a different angle, they really looked at it from a different angle. When they found out that Liz spent about 40 to 50 hours a week impersonating Carrie, that was mental. I don't think that I do that much schoolwork in one week, much less to stalk someone, not even, yeah, much less to stalk your own self and to harass your own self. It's sad that through all of this, Carrie's family had hopes that she was still out there because of these text messages just to find out she was murdered by a woman who saw her for five seconds in a hallway. Never spoke to one another, just split second saw her. Liz and Dave were never in a serious relationship. They were seeing other people. So for Liz to do all of this is bizarre because that man was never yours. He was seeing other people just like you were seeing other people. Since November 2023, the Carrie Farber Scholarship has raised $35,000. On the website, it reads, quote, Carrie Farber was a vibrant, talented, and caring person. Her friends and family remembered her courageous spirit and love of life fondly. Although Carrie's life ended abruptly, her indomitable spirit lives on in the hearts and minds of those who knew her best, end quote. I will have the website linked below if you want to donate or if you just want to read and find out more information about the scholarship and the students that have won the scholarship. And with that, today's story comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday at 7 a.m., there is a new episode. You can keep up with me on the podcast at Instagram at criminalcuriositypod. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone.